Hi, this is Amanda. And this is Lindsay. We're True Creeps. Where the stories are true. And the creeps are real. We'll cover stories from grotesque gore. To the possibly plausible paranormal. To horrifying history. To tense and terrible true crime. And everything else that goes bump in the night. We want you to join us while we creep. We cover mature topics. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Vallow update. We've had a lot go on in the last month. Yeah, there's been a lot of movement, and there's also been a lot of information that happened a while ago that we're just learning about again as well. Yeah, and I also think that there's been a lot of confusion because of the movement. Yes. And what's going to happen next. So we want to clear some of that up today. Yeah. So the first thing that we're going to talk about is the release of Tammy's death certificate. When we say Tammy, we mean Tammy Daybell, Chad's late wife. So Justin Lum from Fox 10, he posted that he had a copy of Tammy's original death certificate. And it was also some probate filings. This was Tammy's original death certificate when she originally died, not after she was exhumed. So before we get into that, let's talk about the probate filings. So probate filings were her will, renunciations of personal representations, and an application by Emma Murray, her daughter, to become the personal representative for her estate. In the will, not surprisingly, she left everything to Chad. And then in her will, she also names personal representatives in this order, Chad, her dad, and then Chad's dad. And all of them have renounced their role as personal representative in filings. So that's why Emma filed an application to be appointed as the personal representative. Yeah. So in the death certificate itself, we've known that they said that she died of natural causes. It specifies cardiac event, but also the box that has, was there an autopsy performed is not checked. So this determination of a cardiac event is solely from observation. It's weird. It's interesting. It's interesting to me. Now, the coroner, Brenda Dye, said that the cause of death was a pulmonary edema specifically. And what that is, is a buildup of fluid in your lungs that makes breathing difficult. I don't think you would need an autopsy to determine if there was fluid in someone's lungs. I wonder if you would be able to listen, like with certain tools. Yeah, like that makes sense to me that, yeah, maybe they could see physically that that happened. But they can't determine why it happened. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and also like there are different causes of death that you sometimes get to by process of elimination. I believe that drowning is one of them, if I'm not mistaken, is that like if you're in a body of water and they don't know a cause of death, absent other indicators of other ways of dying, they'll assume drowning. Yeah, we've seen that before, too, in some of the cases we've covered. Yeah. So maybe this is something like that, where if they don't know, this is kind of where they lean. Yeah. Going back, it's like she was a healthy woman for the most part from what we've been told. She was healthy and she dies in the night at some point. We don't know around actually what time realistically. Mm -hmm. And then they're just like, yeah, natural causes, no autopsy done. And that's when they exhume her and then they find out, oh, there might have been something else. It's just frustrating to me that they put a natural thing without actually looking at it, I guess. You know, like and I'm sure that happens often, but it's frustrating. I'm sure it happens often, but I think it's also because Chad said that he did not want an autopsy. Right. And because of that, like they would need a court order to do one. So at that point, unless they had a reason to suspect something was wrong, I don't think they could have. So I also thought it was super weird that they just decided that that's how she died. So I reached out to someone in the medical field and asked their opinion. And they said if it was pulmonary edema or cardiac death, the person would have significant previous symptoms. Also, that you physically would have been able to tell 
based off of what she called elephant limbs. So physically, the body would have been very, very swollen. However, because of Tammy's age and just physical characteristics, she was surprised that they didn't look further into it because it would have been super weird, especially not having previous symptoms. But I will say, right, by October, the kids are dead and Charles is dead. And Gilbert PD, they've been vocal and also provided an abundance of documentation to show that they suspected that the three of them were involved with all of this nastiness. So it's hard for me to get behind the fact that in October, they didn't suspect Chad enough to try to push an autopsy then and that they had to have her exhumed. And I say that because I am very fortunate in that I have not lost either one of my parents but I cannot imagine the terrible pain of like losing a parent and then not knowing how they died and then not knowing when you were going to get to rebury them. Like I've said it before, you can just throw my body in a dumpster. I don't really care. But if that is something you do care about, that would be deeply hurtful. We don't talk about it often, but I do think that the Daybell children must be really, really, really hurting in this as well. Absolutely. Like they they essentially lost both their parents. Yeah. And for it to have been your father who did this, you know, and then also to see all this information about how he's happy. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. But I think that would break me to know that my parent was happy about this terrible loss I suffered. Yeah. Well, and we don't know where they sit anymore. And I think that that's another conversation that's happening a lot lately is like, do the Daybell kids believe their father is innocent still or not? And the thing is, we don't know as of right now. They haven't come out publicly and said if they've changed their minds or anything. The last we heard is they're like, our dad couldn't have done this, right? And now I don't know if they ever got to see the autopsy. You know, like, I don't know what they know. And we're not probably going to know until the actual trial, which we're going to talk about because there's a lot of questions surrounding that as well. Yeah. And we talked about, I mean, it's been a minute, but that the Daybell children, when they had that interview many moons ago, they talked about that there was this kind of like quid pro quo of sorts of like, if you want to see the autopsy report, then you have to work with us. You have to cooperate with law enforcement. Yeah. And we don't know what became of that, right? Like, and decisions may change over time because an allegiance that they had before the Gilbert Police Department released their documentation may have drastically swayed. Yeah. If that was me in that situation, I would have been like, I will buy this myself for my own reading because I need to see the documents that say what my dad did. Mm-hmm. to be able to wrap my head around it. And because if it's possible to start processing this before you're in a courtroom. Yes. It might be easier. It also, I mean, we know that that was like thousands of pages of documents. So that's also kind of a a heavy load. So I could see either way. But I just I would be surprised if all of his children were still on his side. Same. Same. I just don't know how they could be. Yeah. But, you know, he was a very good manipulator. So who knows? Like they they were born into that. That is very true. That's very true. Unfortunate. Well, something else we're going to discuss today is some random communications with Zulema. And remember, Zulema is the one that ended up marrying Alex, which is Lori's brother. Alex said to Zulema that Chad had, quote, escaped from his warden in response to Zulema saying Chad looked happy. And that's what Lindsay was mentioning earlier. Just escaped from his warden. Like, does that mean that he was no longer stuck with Tammy? Which is really, really sad because she seemed like a wonderful human. Yeah. And she was not just like a wonderful human, but also she seemed like a solid spouse. 
she worked with him on his passions and she supported him and all the things that he wanted to do and including a move yeah like he wanted to move and she was like okay away from her family too Mm -hmm. and so the idea of characterizing her that way gross yeah and you know just to note too we are recording on may 4th and this would have been her birthday so i know we've talked about it before her family did set up the tammy douglas daybell foundation and there's a lot of posts about it today and they're taking donations and that sort of thing so if you haven't checked that out that is something that is available on it looks like all social media from what i can see yeah so Another thing when we were just talking about, you know, Chad seeming happy, they discuss him being giddy and happy. So it just like hurts my heart that Tammy paid the price for him to. It seems like a a creepy like high school crush in a sense that he like got to take advantage of. I don't know. They seem childlike. It seems like infatuation to me. Yeah. Obsession even. Infatuation, obsession. I mean, it seems very much to me, like clearly they weren't doing a lot of thinking in here, but I really do feel like it feels like infatuation because I think that love requires a deeper understanding and like knowing of that person. And I don't like I believe in reincarnation, but I do not believe all this garbage from Chad. I feel like this is how like he reeled Laurie in. Yeah, for sure. And I think it had a lot to do with how Laurie looked. Probably. And that sucks. In her leggings. Ugh. Never. I love watching Lindsay's face die a little every time. (laughs) It does. It does make me die a little every time to talk about that. But like, I, I can only describe it as gross. If you aren't happy in your marriage, you either consensually decide that you were going to open it, but you don't cheat on your spouse. Like, don't do that. Or, you know, murder them. Yeah, I mean, here's my thing. I think that, like, he would have never murdered her, but for Laurie. So, like, when I say the affair, I I bring that up because that was what I think started this. It is, yeah. And I also, I think that everything that happened, happened because he wanted Laurie and he wanted to kill his wife. And everything else is just a byproduct. And that's disgusting because I'm talking, like, the death of her children, like the death of Charles Vallow, all because he had a, a crush people didn't want to get a divorce yeah it's sickening it's sickening and it's like it didn't need to happen if she didn't want to care for jj there were people who would have wanted him and tylee was 17 so like she was about to be like a legal adult yeah so she could be like you're off to college or you're on your own and that would have been legal and fine i mean it would have been kind of messed up if she was like figure it out you're on your own but like it wouldn't have been legally wrong to do that. There's no part of my brain that can like conceptualize why they did anything that they did. Yeah, because you're a human. Fuck them, man. Just I, it's all it's, it's all I can say. Like, I respect the family members in this so much because whenever they have press conferences, they aren't just like, fuck them. Because I mean, I feel like I would just be filled with expletives. Like, I don't even I wouldn't even have the words for what I would wish upon these people that did some, this to somebody who I loved. Exactly. Well, back to some of the communications with Zulema. Zulema also told Melanie Gibb that Lori and Chad were moving to Hawaii indefinitely. And that might have been their plan, but then they got caught. So they weren't able to stay in their nice island paradise. Do you think that one of the reasons that Melanie Gibb like did come forward eventually was because she felt like Zulema got closer to them than she did and she got jealous? I don't think that I think she knew that things were going to come out and she wanted to look like the good guy. I think it was just to save her own skin. I don't think she cared about anything. Like she was like, whatever happened, happened, but I'm not going to go down for your stuff. 
Uh-huh. Yeah. My phone number is in your phone and specific noteworthy days you made calls to me and that makes me look bad. Yeah. No, that's fair. Yeah. I think she should be on trial as well because I think she aided and abetted. I assume that there's something that she's worked out with police. I mean, I I definitely could see there being immunity agreements for people who had key information. And we already know, right, that I believe Summer Shiflet and Zulema both have immunity agreements. Of some kind. Of, of some kind. I would be surprised if Melody didn't too, because I do think that she's complicit. Yeah, I haven't liked her from the start. You know, like the first time that she came out and was talking to Nate Eaton, I was like, you are hiding more than what you're letting on. You're acting like they they were speaking crazy talk, but like you were also speaking crazy talk with them. So like saying you weren't part of it doesn't make any sense because then why would you be in their inner circle? And also, if someone who you're close to is spouting this kind of bananas beliefs and this kind of rhetoric where it's very clear that people are in danger, if you don't say something, you didn't say something. Like, I just feel like I would speak up in the situation where I felt like people were in danger. But even in situations where like if I had a friend who all of a sudden they had this really scary type of belief system that sprouted up out of nowhere, I feel like I would be like, hey, like, is everything OK? Like, can we check in? And and that's not even on like a what are you going to do level, but on a I don't want my friends to be in cults that they don't want to be in. Like, I don't want my friends to be in dangerous cults. That's fair. And then also when she discussed, uh, we're going way back, but she discussed what a zombie was, right? And how Chad and Lori were getting rid of zombies. Mm -hmm. And so the first time she called her child a zombie, you know, she should have stepped in and been like, okay, like, I may be using the wrong term, but I want to say she said like they prayed about the zombies and then some would go away, right? And just the fact that she knew that Lori called her kids zombies and didn't step in there, it just frustrates me so much. And then the fact that she's trying to play innocent when you knew what happened to zombies, right? Agreed. And I'm sure I've said it like many moons ago, but it also it, it is deeply annoying that what they're talking about is possession, not zombies. Well, yeah, like it's not even the right horror monster. <laughs> but I will say, like, I've never seen with the exception of like one where they like fell in love, which ugh, uh, most zombie movies, the only way to stop a zombie is by killing them. So even if you're like looking like word for word, it's just it's alarming from the get. Yeah. But anywho, let's let's get back to Zulema's communications from that Gilbert police had. So many things with Zulema. She's another one of them. Just her and Melanie. Yeah. So Lori told Zulema that Zulema had the power to create earthquakes and she would ask if she was responsible for earthquakes around the world. As you do. As you do. Mm hmm. So Chad would praise Zulema for preparing the earth for the second coming because, you know, she was also helping them in some way. Apparently preparing the earth meant just like rumbling. <laughs> rumbling with earthquakes. Yeah. Zulema believed that she had an angel protecting her, which a lot of people have this belief, but hers was a little odd. His name was Porcius, and he was the deceased president of the LDS church David McKay. Very specific angel. This is very specific. I feel like people do that where they're like, it was my grandfather as my guardian angel. I don't feel like it's typically like public figures who they haven't, they don't have like a personal relationship with. To me, it's like being like, Elvis is my guardian angel. It's just very specific and very strange and like 
Why? Don't know. Also, why would he have a different name? I have a lot of questions. Of course, this sounds a lot cooler than David McKay. I mean, yeah, like my guardian angel, Dave. <laughs> Well, you're like Porcius. You're like, oh, that guy, that guy sounds hardcore. Oh, you have a guardian angel named Porcius? You being able to control earthquakes, this makes a lot more sense now. Yeah. Like if your guardian angel's name was Dave, uh, I don't know if I'd believe it. But Porcius and you? That's more believable. You're rocking it. Yeah. <laughs> These tectonic plates never should a chance. Like, I don't, it's just fucking, it's, it's just so bananas. It is. It is. That's what we should be naming these episodes now, like... Bananas. <laughs> Bananas. Lori Vallow. All of it. So, Zulema regularly told Lori and Chad that she opened portals in the temple. I mean, I knew Lori and Chad had portals. I didn't know Zulema had portals. Could you imagine if you were, like, at church and then... I mean, I'm, I'm never at church because I'm not religious, but could you imagine if you were a person who went to church and you're there praying or doing whatever and, like, suddenly there is, like, an actual portal... I mean, yeah. And just a note, because their beliefs do not match what the church's beliefs are. We'll just say that here. That's what I'm saying. Like, all of a sudden, all this weird shit starts happening that, like, doesn't make any sense. But also, like, what did she do to open a portal? I'm sorry. I have so many questions about her generally. In my head, all I think of is, like, it's it doesn't make any sense. But I think of, like, Doctor Strange opening his, like, little portal things. Do you know what it makes me think of? Did you ever watch the show The OA? Mm-mm. <laughs> okay, well, like, she's like, the motions, the motions. And basically, like, she does, like, a particular set of, like, dance moves and, like, movements with her hands. Oh, I like this. Lori liked to dance. I'm not going to say what OA means, but, like, you did a particular set of dance moves to, like, open a plane to another, like, dimension, kind of? It was a bizarre show. I'm remembering it very poorly. But I do remember the motions because, like, whenever I would see my brother after that, I would do, like, weird motions at him because we were both watching. I loved this. (laughs) But it was, like, vigorous and at points in unison. So, like, that's what I'm imagining. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah. Can you imagine Chad making these motions? These vigorous motions? I don't ever want to picture him doing anything vigorously. (laughs) But that's what, like... I understand. But let's not... Let's agree that we're not going to use vigorous and Chad in the same (laughs) phrase again. But just when you're talking about this, it's like... I always say it every time. My heart breaks and we've broken down several times talking about like the kids and Charles and Tammy. But their beliefs are just so out there. It's like talking about a sci-fi novel. A poorly written sci-fi novel. (laughs) Yeah. It feels like fiction that doesn't even have any sense to it. On the outside looking in, it feels like, how could you believe this? Yeah. And I think that's what's so disarming about this is because it's like, we can look at it and go, this is clearly fiction. But clearly, at least some people truly believed this. And so to me, that begs the question, like, how is Chad doing that? Because I don't think that you need to look a certain way. Clearly. But I do think that you need to have a certain level of charisma in order to be able to convince people of this. And it's scary to think, like, how many more are out there? Well, I mean, like, if you've ever been, like, long-term manipulated by somebody, it is a mind fuck for lack of a better phrase and like you look back and go like oh my god how could I believe all of this that doesn't even make sense but it's like when someone sees weakness in you and preys on that your mind can go crazy places and so it's scary to me how many people it seems like Chad preyed on at least in my opinion yeah 
So Chad told Zulema that the man she was dating was dark and was putting cages around her. Very weird. And it's it's odd because, you know, when Chad and Lori have someone in their way, they call them dark and then they get rid of them. Right. So like they got rid of this guy so that Chad could then tell Zulema that God wanted her to marry Alex and also to move to Rexburg. Of all places. Of all places, yep. So they met soon after, and then they got married on November 28th of 2019. So I still wonder, though, you know, like, if they had moved to Rexburg, what would have happened? And, you know, all of this is if they hadn't gotten caught, right? Because Alex died soon after, very soon after, Tammy was exhumed. Yeah. And then we found out, like, cell phone pings and all the crazy stuff happening. But I also wonder... What was their ultimate plan for Alex and Zulema? And then I go back to when they first got married and we talked about it before, but the creepy massage where he needed a giant plastic tarp for the bed. Yeah, for the oils. For the oils and that the way that she talks, it seems like she might have been drugged and that's just pure speculation, but it sounded like she was. It seemed like she thought that too. Yeah. From my reading of her. Yeah, but we don't know if she actually was. But what was the plan that night? Like, was she supposed to die that night and then Alex couldn't do it? What was the original plan for these two? Yeah, I I do find that strange, especially because it seemed like she was like obedient in what they wanted and she was like down for whatever plans they had. So to me, I feel like if they did want Alex to kill Zulema, it was so that they could begin pinning everything on him. Mm-hmm. And that because I mean, we, we talked about in the episode where we talk about like the creepy massage for our shorthand for it. But like she talked about worrying that they were going to pin everything on him and that like it seemed like maybe he was too at the end. Yeah, it seemed like very shortly before he died. It sounded like he was starting to get, oh, man, on paper, I did everything. Yeah. And we don't know what he did or didn't do yet. And unfortunately, I don't even think we'll fully know the story because he's gone. I do think that we will get some of the story because they will use his actions, supposed actions, right? Oh, for sure. They can't charge him and he can't be found guilty because he's not alive. But they can say like, well, based on like this cell phone ping, he was here, 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 here. Then this thing happened while he was there with things that can be traced back to him. Mm-hmm. And then you communicated with him while he was there. He went to you after he was there. He then went back and then back to you again. So I think that we're going to find out a lot about Alex's movements because they're proving the connection. We'll know his movements, but we won't know his side of how it happened. Oh, yeah. Like the, the verbal things. Like, what did they say in those calls? Exactly. What did they convince him? What did they say was going to happen if he didn't do certain things? Exactly. And because now it's only going to be their side. If they're trying to pin him for whatever it may be, it's going to be their side of why he did it or why they think he did it or how they didn't know anything. And we'll never know his side of it, which really sucks. This is pure speculation, but I do think we are going to get a little bit of this is his side of things. I think we're going to hear from Zulema during the trial. You think she'll stick up for her husband? I think that the value that she adds in this case is a person who did not do the direct crimes, but has intimate knowledge of them. That's true. And so I think it's possible that she knows a lot more than she's come out and said that we've seen. Mm -hmm. Just follow me here. They're going to go to prison, right? Like Laurie and Chad are going to go to prison, if not be killed by the state for what they've done, right? Like, that's what's going to happen in my brain. It's hard for me to imagine anything else. Yeah. 
But Zulema is presumably going to want to live a life after this. The only way she can live a life where literally the whole world doesn't hate her for what she has done and is complicit in is to humanize her husband. In my opinion, right? Like she can't claim ignorance. Yeah. Because we know that she wasn't. She can't say that she was tricked. I mean, maybe she could, but I don't think that she can do that without also humanizing Alex. And I think that that's how we're going to see his side of things. And also, like, a lot of the search warrants took a lot of things like computers and cell phones. And we don't know what he kept on there, you know? That's true. But they didn't get married till November, right? And they were only dating for a short time before that. So I wonder how much she knew before they were talking. Because before, she only knew what Chad and Lori would tell her. Because from what my understanding is, is her and Alex barely knew each other. And it's not like he'd be like, oh, by the way, I helped with this. Like, I don't think he would. That's true. So it's tricky. I guess it depends on what he told her, right? Like what she knew. Yeah. Well, and also what she can testify to. Mm hmm. Right. Because there's only so much she can say about what he said to her. You know, like that's a real tricky evidentiary situation. It is. OK, so we normally talk about filings like one by one. But this time, for the most part, they were pretty administrative. And so and they didn't really talk about any new case facts. So we're going to talk about movement in the case in and outside the court together. The hottest ticket, the hottest news in town is that Laurie was deemed mentally competent to proceed. So she was moved back to Madison County Detention Center on April 14th. Kay and Larry Woodcock, as well as Annie Cushing, have expressed that they are happy that her case is going to begin now. And just as a reminder, the Woodcocks are JJ's grandparents, as well as Charles Vallow's sister and brother-in-law. Annie Cushing is Tylee's aunt on her father's side. So Kay notes that she doesn't think that Laurie has changed. And I, I honestly agree with her. Specifically, she said, my guess is she is just in her own little world, not in a sick delusional way. But in a strong willed, I'm not guilty. And what Chad and I did was right. And that way, I don't have to ever face the fact that I murdered my two kids and my husband. I don't know that she'll ever realize or ever admit her guilt. Right. And that's also what we've all speculated on, too, is like, will one of them flip on each other? Whether Lori flips on Chad, Chad flips on her. It's interesting. Yeah. I mean, originally, I had certain thoughts on who was going to flip. But given some extra movement in the case, I'm not quite so sure anymore. Yeah, and we'll talk about that. But so Lori was arraigned on April 19th. And I will note, like, during the arraignment, a lot of people have things to say about her hair. I really don't care about her hair. But I will talk about her body language because she did look as though she was suppressing a smile the entire time. It's that smug look that she always has. Yes. And like, regardless of your own personal beliefs and like why you did what you did, you're still talking about the death of your children. He's going through and reading the charges and he's like talking about like the death of her children. And you wouldn't know that it wasn't a stranger. Yeah. Like it looks like they're talking about strangers. And maybe that's because in her brain, who they killed wasn't her children. But it's a, it was a bizarre thing to see. So Laurie did not waive her right to a speedy trial. And so, like, let's talk about what that means. So the right to a speedy trial is a constitutional right that stems from the Sixth Amendment. And it's also supplemented by Idaho's code, which gives a specific time limit to bring criminal defendants to trial. And that time limit is six months unless, quote, good cause to show the contrary is shown. And the reason why this exists is basically so that defendants aren't detained for an undetermined amount of time before being tried. Right. You don't want to be arrested for robbery and then sit in prison for three years until you're charged. 
Yeah. So you don't want to be arrested for alleged jam thieving and then sit in prison for three years before you're formally charged. The biggest question that was looming was whether the cases were effectively severed by this. Like if Laurie's case had to start sooner, does this kind of function as a severance, even though Judge Boyce already ruled against a severance? Yeah. And at the beginning, we were like, "Ooh, that's like an underhanded way to sever a case in a sense, because hers was moved up so early compared to his. Yeah. And and we've already talked about, too, in the past, but being the second defendant, when there are successive trials that are substantially similar, the second defendant has a huge advantage because they know how the state is going to present the evidence. But so when you get to trial, no evidence should be a surprise to the other party because everyone has a common ingredient pantry of discovery. Yeah. But what they make from those ingredients is going to be different. Right. And so there might be some overlap in the things that they pull out, but largely they're going to know what's going on. They just don't know how the state's going to present that evidence. But in a situation where there's two trials, the second time around, they would. They would know that. And so that feels like Lori would be at a huge disadvantage. And so originally in my brain, I was like, oh, is she going to plead? Is she going to have a plea agreement and testify against Chad? Yeah. Because that's the only way in which that makes sense. And so, I mean, just a a breath ago, if you will, on May 2nd, the state filed a motion to find good cause to continue the trial and prevent improper severance. And so clearly the state, too, was like, you're not going to sever the trial this way. Like, good luck. Good try. But we all see what you're doing. Yeah. And so (laughs) the state argues that there is not good cause to sever the cases, that the delay in relation to the complexity of the case is not that long. It's really not, though. Yeah, it's really not because we're talking in October start date versus January. Yeah. But a blip. And so typically the six month period starts after charges are brought. But here that couldn't happen because Laurie was deemed mentally not competent to proceed. And so the delay isn't from what the state has done. Right. And I don't typically read directly from the pleadings because that's boring and no one wants it. But I do think it's really important to bring up the state discussed precedent from the case State versus McNeil. And in this particular case, as the prosecution lays out in their filing, they talk about how in that particular situation, the defendant wanted to undergo psychological examination and then they delayed that examination and that caused a delay in their trial. And then afterwards, they opted to not waive their speedy trial rights. And there, the court found that a failure to assert the speedy trial until well after the time period had expired, combined with the defendant's request for continuances and the delay in addressing the mental health concerns, indicated that the defendant did not necessarily want a speedy trial. So... To me, it seems like they constructively waived it through their actions. And the state asks the court to apply this same logic to Laurie's case, that after she was arraigned, they were in no rush to go to trial. And it's not as though she was deemed mentally competent quickly, right? No, it took a while. It took a while. They had a few different kind of like, we're refreshing your competency, right? So because of that, the state's kind of like, well, why now do you assert this rush? Like, is it too late for you to assert that you want a speedy trial because you've proven otherwise? So basically, from here, what we're waiting on is a hearing from Judge Boyce on this. I would be highly surprised if the defense did not file a responsive pleading to this, though. Like, they're definitely going to respond in some way. Yeah. But yeah. And then also of note, 
the state has filed the appropriate paperwork, the appropriate notices that they will be seeking the death penalty against Lori. That's no surprise. Yeah, they already did that with Chad. So we knew it was coming. We just didn't know when. Yeah. And so from here, what we're waiting on is a response from the defense and thus far the hearing to discuss the motion for severance and to move Lori's trial back to the same time as Chad's is scheduled for May 19th. But I could see a possibility of a continuance being filed if the defense wants to weigh in before, what, 15 days from now? Because we were recording this on May 4th. Yeah. So as of right now, though, Lori's trial is scheduled to begin on October 11th and end on December 16th. So like we said, it's not terribly long after her end date that Chad's would start. So it doesn't seem like it's going to be a big deal. Yeah. I mean, for them, it's going to be a big deal. But like for the state and everything and realistically, no. It's not long enough for it to be concerning. Like, I don't think anybody's infringing upon Lori's rights by delaying just to touch. Also, the expense that would be and for all of the witnesses to have to do that twice and just all of the things that surround having two trials, it just doesn't seem like it's worth it for a couple weeks. You know, like a couple weeks difference. It's also a little bit smug, but what's a few more weeks when you're going to be in there for the rest of your life? Fair. Fair enough. So the pretrial conference, again, as of right now, is set for September 6th, but we predict that these dates will be different shortly. Lori exercised her right to remain silent. Her attorney, Jim Archibald, entered a not guilty plea on Lori's behalf. And something that I saw a lot in the Lori Vallow groups is like, why? Why was she silent? Why didn't she say her own plea? And does the silence really benefit her in any way? I think it does. I think at this point, everyone is staring at every single thing she does. And silence means that it's just one less thing to pick apart for her. Well, yeah, that's fair. It's just less cannon fodder, in my opinion. Even just like you mentioned, her hair. That was like everyone was commenting on her hair. I guess that makes sense. The questions I think more meant like, does that help her by not saying the plea? And it doesn't really do anything one way or another for the trial. It's more just, like you said, like the thoughts that people will be reading into. The way that she speaks, her mannerisms, all of it. Yeah, that makes sense. Legally, does that benefit her? No. But can people read into it if she were to speak? Absolutely. But yeah, I did see that question floating around in a couple different areas. So we'll see what comes of it. So the prosecution had 60 days from the date of the arraignment to file a notice with the court if the prosecution decided to pursue the death penalty against Lori. And as Lindsay already said, they did it. They filed for it. They're going for the death penalty. Lori's counsel and newly appointed co-counsel John Thomas are both death penalty certified in Idaho. So that's just something to note. Lori's counsel is also opposed to the trials being in Fremont County. I mean, surprise, surprise. (laughs) Yeah. In the hearing for the venue, Rachel Smith said, quote, the defendant picked the venue when the bodies were buried on his property and he killed Tammy Daybell in her opening statement. Harsh, but fair. I think so. That feels like a really intense statement for a pretrial hearing. And it's just like further proof that the jury's not in there yet, but they're still talking to them, it sounds like, at least to me. That and like that they're saying that he killed Tammy Daybell, right? Like we knew it from obviously the charges, right? But it's the first time that we're like officially hearing someone say it, I guess. And that was just like, finally, right? I don't know. I know that there was already charges, but it's kind of nice to hear. Yeah. 
The words are being said and they're having to hear those words out loud. Yeah. So Judge Boyce issued a ruling on venue on April 28th and ordered that the case will be tried in Ada County. So one of the questions that we saw in a lot of the Facebook groups we're a part of and videos we've seen with comments and stuff is, can Laurie and Chad write to one another? And the short answer is maybe. So we looked at the Idaho Department of Corrections policies regarding correspondence, and there's a whole section about inmate to inmate communication. And if individuals are immediate family members, they can write letters to one another if the heads of both of their facilities approve, so long as it doesn't violate like their general policies of what can be sent. And so both facilities would have to approve. And the policies on like what can't be sent are kind of intuitive. So it's like inappropriate or contraband. You can't send threats. You can't like describe other prisoners, right? You can't threaten witnesses. But also you can't send anything sexually explicit, which means no more steamy stories from Chad to Laurie. He might still be <laughs> writing them, but I hope not. He's at least not sending them. Well, that's good. That's good that he's not sending them. Yeah. One of the other things that I would wonder, too, is like in prisons, there's like instant messaging systems that you can use. I don't know whether those go inmate to inmate. But I mean, those would be everything would be looked at and reviewed by the facilities themselves. And we know they're not criminal masterminds. But like it would be extra stupid for them to be talking in any way, in my opinion. Any communication between the two of them. Unless Portal. Unless Portal, obviously. They got to do the motions. They got to wiggle with it. But and I feel like any communication with them is just further damning. Because we've speculated before, but we think that Chad's going to try to distance himself from Laurie. Hence why they call her Miss Vallow. And Laurie, I mean, I don't know why she wasn't deemed mentally competent, but I'm wondering if it has to do with like the idea of like being indoctrinated with religious beliefs and putting distance from Chad and her. So I feel like anything that she sends is going to be so damaging to her in trial. Well, you brought up that they call her Miss Vallow, but then she's insisting to be called Miss Daybell. Mm -hmm. And that's like tying her to him further. You know, like mentally, you're like, oh, same last name. They got married. But like, I don't think she ever legally changed her name. So I want to say her actual legal name is Vallow still. Yeah. But her counsel continues to insist on Daybell. So it's just interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Well, that about wraps up the case updates that we have for this week. But if there's questions that you have that are lingering, reach out to us because we love to like go through and say like, OK, what are people kind of asking about right now? What's not being answered very broadly? I think that's some of the most interesting stuff to talk about because it's not just in a filing. It's not just everywhere. Yeah. And even with today's episode, some of these things that we answered in the episode were questions that were sent to us. Yeah. So yeah, we, we love the communication. Also, if you haven't already, we have our private Facebook group and Discord, which is a lot of fun. And that's for our patrons to enjoy. Also, when this episode comes out, tonight is our game night for our Patreon. So if you are thinking about joining, you have until game night starts. That's at 8 p.m. tonight. Yeah. Eastern Standard Time. Eastern Standard Time. Okay, I don't know. I don't know what time it is. I don't deal with time change in Arizona. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We politely declined to deal with that. I wish we politely declined. I <laughs> I don't see why we have it. It, do, it makes very little sense to me. But who am I? I'm no one. <laughs> but yeah, 8 p.m. tonight, we will be having our Patreon game night. It's our second one. 
We had a lot of fun last time. I think it'll be a lot of fun this time. If you want to check out our Patreon, you can head to our website or any of our social media. We have a link there. Yeah. And with that, have a great weekend. Thanks for creeping with us. Thanks for listening. For more information on our sources, please visit our website, drewcreeps.com. If you'd like to follow us on social media, you can follow us on Instagram at truecreepspod, on Facebook at facebook.com slash truecreepspod, and on Twitter at truecreeps. We'd love for you to keep creeping with us. So if you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the show with your fellow creeps. 